All right, guys, I've got to add an introduction to this podcast because uh, I have to explain the low energy, weird vibes on this podcast. I actually, once I found out what happened, I thought about doing this podcast again, but I'm way too lazy for that. So I don't know if I said anything I regret on this recent podcast, but I'll just sort of explain what happened. Um, like I said, at the start of this podcast, 12 countries in 12 weeks, obviously you're going to be feeling some type of way. You're going to be jet lagged. I've been taking a lot of Xanax and Adderall to time adjust, force time adjust, obviously overindulging a bit. So when I got back, so right now, today is Thursday, right? Today's Thursday. We filmed the podcast on Wednesday. I arrived back from Abu Dhabi Tuesday night. So I had a pretty good night's sleep Tuesday night. Woke up Wednesday and early in the morning Wednesday, I felt incredible. Sometimes you come back, you don't sleep well. Sometimes I wake up at 2 a.m., woke up at 5 a.m. I felt incredible, felt ready to rumble. Popped an Adderall, drank a coffee, made a coffee at home, right? We have like uh, a lot of bad allergies in Texas. They call it like cedar fever, right? And someone told me some shit, it's probably bullshit, so don't take this as fact, but if you have a little bit of the local honey, it can ease some of the effects of the cedar fever. So I'm at home making a coffee. I'm like, I'll put some, put some honey in this uh, coffee. I take the coffee. Coffee, obviously, uh, I'm uh, pretty addicted to coffee, probably three coffees a day or something, usually two to start the day, two double shots to start the day in the morning, and an Adderall, Modafin, or whatever I can get in me to get going. Um, and I start the day. By the time I get to training, I'm starting to feel more tired than usual. But, of course, think nothing of it. I think, oh, yeah, well, obviously, massive flight, massive uh, stress of the uh, Volkanovski fight, everything surrounding that. And I say... I'm going to, I'll just punish myself at training to try to bring it out of me. So I decided to do 15 minutes straight, fresh opponent every three minutes with Nicky Ryan and JB. And I was like, I'll start with JB. Um, Nicky Ryan's a little bit of a tougher round for me, so I'll at least warm up with JB before I go with Nicky. And then I felt bad that Nicky would only get to beat me up twice, so I ended up just doing 18 minutes straight. Had to dig deep during that. Usually I have a blowout after traveling. I feel better. Same as if I'm hung over or something. The second I get that first sweat out, I start to feel better. You start to feel uh, positive vibes and stuff. But unfortunately, I finished training and I felt really tired. Obviously, I beat the fuck out of both of those little bastards, but it didn't make me feel good. And when I cannot, when the physically harming my friends doesn't bring me happiness, I start to worry, could this be something really wrong with me? So we finished that session, have a quick bite to eat, we filmed the podcast and I'm feeling just down and tired during the podcast, feeling real weird. Don't know what's going on. I'm chalking it up to jet lag or again, Volk's losing was quite a sad moment. Like I felt, it was, it's hard to watch that happen to your friends. You know what I mean? He'll be okay. He'll be back in there fighting again, but it is hard to watch. I don't know if I was like depressed or what the fuck was going on. I skipped the lunchtime training session. I even saw all the guys at the gym who I haven't seen for a while. I, was, I looked at them. I was like, fuck these guys. I'm out. I'm going home. Ended up uh, going to watch Killers of the Flower Moon, which was uh, was like watching two Titanics back to back. But watched that, went home, went to bed, woke up the next day, felt a bit better the next day. So I'm having a, I'm going through my routine again, having another coffee. And I realized that the honey I was putting in my coffee was THC honey. So I was like, holy shit, that explains everything yesterday. And yesterday I was like, I, wa I wanted a sweet coffee. So I just was pouring this honey into the coffee yesterday. And it was a very, very strange experience. I didn't know what was going on, but it's definitely a mix of uh, anxiety, panic attack. But I kept just chalking it up to jet lag or obviously emotions around the fight, you know. But yeah, here's a quick explanation of why this podcast might seem a bit weird, a bit low energy, a bit all over the place, scattered. I couldn't even think straight. I probably forgot a lot of details of stories. But I usually smoke some weed before bed, maybe a joint, just a little bit, nothing crazy, nothing like Freddie used to start his days smoking weed and uh, he stopped doing that. And I remember when he stopped smoking weed, I thought to myself, fuck, this guy's really going to get his shit together. He's going to be on the ball. He's going to make deadlines, going to get up early. None of those things happened. So of course it wasn't the weed, but yeah, in retrospect, if you're waking and baking or taking edibles in the morning, how the fuck do you get anything done? Hey, obviously I had a few substances at play here. The Adderall caffeine bringing me up, massive hit of THC bringing me uh, back down. So obviously a few things at play here, but my hat's off to you, anyone that can uh, 
eat a lot of edibles and uh, still have a productive day. Again, me personally, I like just smoking it because if I smoke too much, I come back to life pretty quick. But those edibles, though, they rock you for a while, you know, so it's like it's very hard for me to control that. And another problem I have is people always ask me about uh, drugs like weed or psychedelics or how hard do I get into them. And I'm like, I don't want any introspection. I don't want to be thinking about who I am as a person. Am I a good person? I don't want any of those feelings. I only take drugs that get me out of myself. So when you give me a big edible or something like that, I'm thinking about deep feelings inside. That's going to cause me a lot of issues. I don't want that. I want drugs that suppress it and I can be a productive member of society, pushing that stuff deep into old age when I'll think about it or just suddenly have a heart attack at 35. But that explains the reason this podcast has a bit of a weird energy to it. It's controversial. Having that guy around is the, the best thing that ever happened to the squad. If you have the right mix of autism and steroids. All these pundits and whatnot, a lot of people doubting me, you know. I don't want to fucking have a conversation while I'm sharing, you know, like. The hobby I do is already so gay. You are now listening to the El Segundo Podcast with Craig Jones. We are here, El Segundo, episode 21, finally uh, 21 episodes deep. That's the preferred age range of Freddie in terms of finding a new man. <laughs> Welcome the, back, bro. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. 12, when I leave next, we're going to be 12 countries in 12 weeks. So I'm basically fucking brain dead fuck. at this point. I don't know how much time I've spent on planes. Uh, some a couple of those flights were business class. The rest, I was back with the peasants. Yep. yep. We did a spirit flight where you were the last like seat in the plane. That was brutal. Freddie books the flights, and he picks me in the worst seat on the entire plane. I picked a good one for me. I was, I was pretty close to the front of the plane. You were close to the front. I was crammed in the back, stuck <clears throat> on the fucking runway for an hour when we landed. For some reason, uh, <clears throat> air conditioners on planes don't work unless they're moving which is horrible when you take planes out of Austin, Texas. Yeah, it's fucking, we were stuck on the runway for what, like fucking 25, 30 minutes? 25, yeah, 25, 30 minutes at least. It was yeah. fucking unbearable. I've been battling jet lag for literally. The entire yeah, year. <laughs> yeah, entire year I've been jet lagged. That's why I'm always up at weird hours, 3 a.m., posting shit. Yeah, I don't even know what's going on anymore, but... I'll try to go over some of the trip, and we'll get to the UFC 294 and uh, me being attacked by Sambo guys. Luckily, they're not dangerous whatsoever, <laughs> so we came out unscathed. But the trip started, obviously, when we left off when I was uh, – I think I posted the intro to the previous podcast um, from the Airbnb yeah. in Wollongong. So I say Wollongong. It's actually Windang. We're over there at Freestyle MMA. Joe Lopez is – Volkanovsky's coach it's his main main coach you know it's actually a it's a it's a funny thing because city kickboxing as a gym its name is massive right obviously they've got a big roster and they've got um Adesanya and stuff but for the longest time people would always say that Volkanovsky trained at city kickboxing which would drive Joe a little nuts and there'd be like fun back and forth between Eugene from city kickboxing and Joe we're like There'd be big like newspaper uh, editorials and stuff, and they would put Volkanovski at City Kickboxing, and Joe would uh, Joe would lose it. Pretty funny. It's a good thing to stir him up about. Very animated, animated guy. But yeah, for the record, <clears throat> Volkanovski spends almost all of his time in Windang at Freestyle MMA. Windang is like a a small beach city. I mean, it's pretty nice. Like, still, I would still say the worst beach in Australia is better than the best beach in the U.S. So where do you rate this one compared to, like, a U.S. one? Higher than all, yeah, higher than all the U.S. ones. Uh, no, nah, Florida's nice, dude. Florida is not nice. <laughs> I don't rate I don't rate the beach yeah? in Florida. Fucking, dude, you're picky, bro. Yeah, I mean, the Aussie ones are just too good, or if you're in Southeast Asia and stuff, like... Yeah, yeah. It's just not that nice. Uh, I guess into the Caribbean, though, it's fucking beautiful, you know, top yeah. of Puerto Rico and stuff. Fucking close to Florida? 
<clears throat> Florida is a toilet, my friend. Uh, certain parts. I remember when the Jacksonville Beach one, that was pretty shit. Yeah, Jacksonville was an interesting place. Some of these places we go to on tour, you would be like, uh, you end up there because you've got a seminar booked, but obviously like, I don't, I don't know for what purpose I would end up there. What does that say about you that we can only have cool seminars for you in like obscure cities? Obscure cities, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's probably <laughs> not, doesn't say a good thing. But yeah, I was in Wollongong. I was only there for three days. I flew straight down, helped him do a few days prep before we flew to Abu Dhabi. But when we were down there, actually, my brother's really close friends with a hip hop group in Australia called Hilltop Hoods. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I know these guys as well, obviously not as well. I just hung out with them a few times, partied with them a few times, actually. So I've always wanted to see them live. I haven't seen them live since I was quite young, just because of the travel schedule. But luckily, I arrived and they were at a music festival in Wollongong. So hit them up and they gave us some uh, artist passes and stuff, but which was good and bad because. Like I said in the last podcast, I was coming back from Bali on a bender. I got to San Diego, had a massive night that same night in which you absolutely abandoned your friends. And then I got to Australia and I was like, that's it, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm staying sober. And then as soon as we got those uh, artist passes, immediately back on it. But nothing crazy because we partied until 1, 2 in the morning, called it quits. That's the good thing about a music festival, it ends early. And we had to train Volkanovski at like 7.30 in the morning. So we got there, we trained him. We'd stay disciplined, obviously, to the best of our abilities. We weren't too hammered or anything. I was actually able to train that day fine, and then we flew. So when I had flown to uh, Wollongong or whatever, Sydney, it was like whatever it is to LA, three, four hours to LA, then 14 hours to Sydney, and then I'm in Sydney for three days, and then we have a 15-hour flight to Abu Dhabi. I'm in Abu Dhabi for a week, and then, yeah, another – 23 hour journey from Abu Dhabi back here. And then, of course, next week, Tuesday, exactly a week from now, I'll take the uh, 10 hour flight to London. So it's just getting fucking out of control. Eh? <laughs> and surely no stopping. I'm sure there's a couple trips before the year ends. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think I'll either end up back in, um, I might go to Singapore, Coast of Boys Asian Trials, mm-hmm. and I might go to the UFC in China. Oh, shit. Hopefully that's it for the travel schedule. Cause I feel like at this point, I'm going to die soon. Like, it's doing something to my body. It's You can't do it sober. You have to yeah. take some Xanax. But, yeah, we partied a little bit in Wollongong. Again, I was only there for three days, but, yeah, it is a beautiful place. They call it the Gong. It's kind of like a, it's a bit of a bogan place, yeah. like, for non-Aussies. That's like rednecks and stuff. But, yeah, great place. Well, I love bogans. I would consider myself a bogan. But, yourself? Yeah, but, like, for people in Sydney, when you talk about people down the coast and stuff, they don't talk about it. With uh, with too many kind words, you know, really? culture. It's like the way we, Australians as a whole talk about Americans. It's pretty similar, pretty similar <laughs> sentiment, eh? But yeah, then we're in Abu Dhabi, and we go through fight week. Fight week's actually uh, crazy. It's crazy what these guys have to do. Like, obviously, cutting weight. They have the stress of the fight. They're often jet-lagged, especially mm-hmm. for flying to, to Abu Dhabi. And then, like, based on the fact that we were in Abu Dhabi, Folks was walking at midnight to the ring, so we would structure our training sessions around that. So, like, well, I was waking up at 6 a.m., and then our training session was, like, 10 p.m., so it's a long day. And you're basically in the entourage. So wherever Volks goes, you've basically got a pretty loose commitment to follow him the whole way, even if that means you're just sitting on the couch or something, you know, a a lot of downtime. But you watch what they have to do, and they have to do days of media, like they have to get the gloves fitted, get the uniform, uh, pick up all the bags for the training partners, they, and then they have to begin the media. And obviously, media is more intense for the main event guys. But yeah, it's imagine at their most stressed, cutting weight, water loading. Like yeah. everywhere we're going, he's having to take a piss every five, ten minutes. Yeah. So it's like it's grueling on the body. And then they do media interviews. And the problem with the media interviews, it's like it's a different person asking the same question. Yep. Yep. So you. You on the outside are hearing this and you're like, fuck, just put 10 microphones in front of him. Like, Get it all at once. Everyone's getting the same response. But, yeah. of course, that doesn't draw as many views. So, yeah, these guys are roped into all this all this crazy, crazy media stuff. Again, during jet lag, stress, weight cutting, water loading, and training. And still, like, obviously for us, last-minute game plan stuff going into that fight because we had a single week to think about it. Islam had – basically a week to yeah. think about it to change his approach, but at least he was sharp and he was in a fight camp, you know? 
Yeah, he was he was preparing for that for a couple mm. months on end. But yeah, we're out in Abu Dhabi, and in terms of what it was like in Abu Dhabi, I haven't been back to Abu Dhabi since 2016. I used to do the World Pro in the Gi. That was the only event I ever hit a major podium in the Gi, so I got a bronze medal at that. But I did that three, four times. So I've been to Abu Dhabi a bit. Mm. Super nice place. Actually, ne- every time I've been there, I've never had any time to do any of the tourist shit. So it's like I'm spending time in a hotel or at these events. But <clears throat> a lot of tourist shit. I wanted to go to the mosque. Didn't have time for that. Just a hectic schedule because again you're following his plan and his plan his every minute of the guy's day is occupied you know i'm sure it's more stressful since it was on short notice as well having to get a lot more shit done in that little amount of time than usually yeah for sure but it's like the the people the fans and shit i don't think realize how much work it is like they look at these guys probably think oh that like that'd be the dream you know what a dream gig but it's uh it's a lot, a lot of shit to do. And it's uh, something else as well. The fans probably don't realize is like in terms of the events themselves, it's much more brutal than it looks on TV. You know, it's kind of, I'm not going to say censored, but it's quite softened on the TV. You know, like when you watch an MMA fight on TV, very, you see a guy get knocked out. Very rarely are you like, it's got to be a real bad knockout. But like when you see that stuff in person, it's kind of like, uh, it's crazy yeah. as well. Especially you see a guy get knocked out. The camera pans off him and it goes to the guy celebrating. But you, when you're there live and close, you're still looking at this guy unconscious on the ground. It's kind of like a troubling feeling. Yeah. You're like, fuck, I hope this guy wakes up. You know, yeah, obviously they fucking always do. But in terms of what the fans get out of the UFC and what the, what the actual experience is like, it's pretty brutal. Especially when you're involved in the crowd in person. Like oftentimes when Volkanovski's fought, he's been booed beyond belief. You know, it's like the energy is crazy yeah. in that arena, especially when you walk out, fans are just screaming horrible shit if they don't like you. Like, it's a very weird energy. So so for for us going in on the weekend, it's like if your guy gets knocked out in enemy territory, it's even worse. Like, it feels so much worse because it's like, obviously, something horrible has just happened to a friend of yours, but then the crowd's like celebrating, saying still horrible shit yeah. and stuff. And you're what, like, you're seeing what the camera pans away from. I feel like less people would watch fighting if they, if the fan experience yeah, to see the agony part of yeah, it, yeah, showcase the absolute worst side of it, which would be obviously immediate aftermath, getting the medical news in the tent, and then obviously immediately after you clear medicals, you're back in the locker room. So it's like it's it's a brutal experience. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I mean, even seeing his uh, post fight press conference, I'm like, dude, I can't believe they make this guy have to now talk to the media after having to deal with all that. That's got to be fucking tough. Yeah, exactly. So we're backstage. He's having a moment. Obviously, he's just lost. Feels terrible. Yeah. And then immediately they grab him to go do media. He didn't do all the like. Sometimes so there's a lot of media you can do. Like say when Izzy lost, he bounced and got Eugene to do his mm-hmm. post fight media scrum. And stuff by post fight press conference, but Volks, I mean, he even did the interview in the cage. They, they yeah, not yeah. meant to really interview the guys that have been uh, just been KO'd, yeah. but I think I think Volkanovski probably insisted. And then he did the uh, post fight press conference, and we just went back to the hotel after. But a lot of people make a big deal about uh, sort of stuff he was saying at the press conference. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's coming off of probably like a super emotional moment, so they kind of say a lot of shit that I'm sure they wouldn't say otherwise. Yeah, I mean, but essentially the message was he struggles or he gets overwhelmed a bit if he's at home and he's not in camp. Yeah, which I mean, it makes sense if you got like, say, say for example, from my own personal side of things, like when I go into something like ADCC and it's like you're so dedicated mm-hmm. to it. Nothing else in jiu-jitsu really requires that much dedication. So it's like that's what MMA fight is for these guys. So when they have that much focus, everything else is drowned out, and then it's just. As soon as the event happens, whether it goes good or bad, that quiet time afterwards, it feels very like life's very dull. Yep. So like I think he just had elbow surgery, newborn baby, couldn't get out of the house much. And I think he was struggling with that. So when they offered him the fight, he was like, wow, yeah, finally, course, that's perfect. Yeah. I'll have some, some direction again. Yeah, but I think a lot of people struggle with that stuff. I, I mean, I don't really, like, I love the idea of not competing anymore. Really? You know? So, like, after this last ADCC, you don't ha- you don't get that, like, dump afterwards. You're like, fuck, like, 
Oh, I still felt a bit of a dump because it's just the volume's turned down. You know what I mean? Anything you're focused on for so long and like especially for ADCC, for us, it happens every two years, so we're going to put in a lot of effort. But for MMA fight, you put in the effort because you could get really hurt. Yeah, yeah. So like those guys have been dealing with this, what feels to them like a life and death situation, especially MMA, one loss, you lose so much money. Mm-hmm. So it's like for these guys, of course – even if they win, probably especially if they win immediately afterwards, it's just like it's never go. It's never going to live up to the expectations you have in your head. In the immediate, like say if you win a big match or something, immediately you feel great. But the next two days, I mean, obviously that that feeling's not going to carry over. Yeah. It's going to dull down. So he's talking about that. He does see a sports psychologist. Um, I think some of the, probably some of the guys in B team, I imagine, have done that before. Talk to a sports psychologist? I feel like I've spoken to guys in there that have done that stuff. I feel there's a few who fucking need it. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a few that need a regular fucking <laughs> psychologist, eh? Hey. That's true. That's true. Yeah, a therapist will make some good money working out of here. Yes. Yeah, that's true. So we should have it. Like some gyms have a physical therapy room in there because so many people are injured. We need a psychologist in every <laughs> jiu-jitsu gym. Surely I feel like you already have a perfect couch for that room for some reason. That's true. We already got the uh, the casting couch in there. That's casting couch is good because you replace the psychological damage of being beaten up on the mats with a certain other type of emotional damage you receive on the couch. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Volks is yeah, he's okay. Yeah, it's like uh, obviously it's horrible. But I think as well, I've had concussions before, and you get crazy. It can make you crazy emotional. Like it can give yeah. you anxiety. Like those are the effects of the knockout. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, even just missing sleep is going to raise your anxiety. So if like, if I've had a few concussions in my time, not out cold, cold, Mm -hmm. but where I've lost vision and fucking hearing and lost my equilibrium and stuff like that. And yeah, some of the effects after that can be emotional effects. So it's like, it's no surprise that whatever he was feeling during camp was just so amplified after. Yeah. And probably the feeling of like, uh, because a lot of people told him not to take the match, like in terms of fans, the the public and shelves, they respected it, but they were like, "That's wild." So that compa- compounding that with uh, having lost, you know, for like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But I think that's like the first time he's been finished in fucking ten plus years or some crazy shit like that. Yeah, actually, the last guy that finished him was super early in his career at a heavyweight division. And funny story about that is, I remember when he won it, when he had one of his big wins in the UFC. The Sydney, I think it was a Sydney Morning Herald, one of the big newspapers ran a story about like the like the crane uh, driver yeah. that knocked out Volkanovski and they like interviewed this dude. Like a fucking plumber now or some shit? I think he I think he's a crane driver or something, <laughs> eh? I mean it's still a fucking interesting gig, but he's got that fucking W on him though. He's got that W, yeah. I bet every single person in his life hears about that all the fucking time, eh? Hey, the reverse side of that's gotta be tough. You know, like you're like, fuck, I'm a crane driver, you know, I'm eating fucking yeah, I mean, TV you won, dinner. but you're a crane driver, yeah, like, and he's the UFC champ. Yeah. I'm not saying anything wrong with crane drivers, except obviously if you're fighting MMA, your dream would have been to be a UFC yeah. champ. So it's like, <laughs> you wouldn't change places, you know? But yeah, that is that is fucking funny. Something else happened over there was, um, what was it? Was we actually had, so you saw a photo floating around on social media of Islam oh, and yeah. Volkanovski after the fight. So we had a meeting with... Uh, some people from the UAE, and it was about, uh, we were talking to him about ADXC, that new grappling event. We'll get into that as well. We actually spoke to him about another project as well, but we had arranged this meeting. My friend Tariq, who was on the first event, who I just trained with that day, had helped arrange this meeting at a coffee shop, right? But when you're meeting important people, especially like in high power positions in countries like that, there's obviously customs and uh, rules you kind of need to abide by mm-hmm. to ensure like a, a good relationship and certain things would be like, obviously if it's your boss, a good rule is obviously if in any capacity, if it's your boss, you should probably arrive first to the meeting. You probably shouldn't keep the guy above you waiting. waiting right? yeah. So it's like, those are customs, but obviously in some cultures more important than others. So he had arrived and I believe he'd only been told that I was coming. Cause we were like, Oh, no one, uh, like folks management and stuff. <laughs> we're giving our shit this whole week, but we were like, Oh, he'll probably be late. And if the guy shows up and has to wait 30 minutes for these guys, it's pretty a bad look. So we show up and then luckily uh, the Volk's crew shows up, but he hadn't told them they were coming just uh-huh. in case they were late. Yeah. Like could be perceived as, I don't know, disrespect or something. Yeah. Um, so Volk shows up, but 
uh, the guy we were meeting with, uh, the guy that runs the UAHHA, I believe his nickname is the uh, the general. He had tried to see Islam as well before Islam left. So Islam showed up at the coffee shop as well. So we're there eating lunch or whatever, having this meeting. And he's like, oh, someone's out front, but you probably don't want to see him. He says that's a Volkanovsky. And then we like look out the window and uh, Islam's crew comes in and they come in and they sit at another table and uh, <clears throat> order some food and stuff. And then Islam actually paid our check, which was super kind oh, of the fuck, guy, that's right? crazy little guy. We didn't hear about that till after, but uh, then Volks and Islam obviously got a photo together and stuff. Oh, friendly. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> even the Sambo guys, I, I imagine they saw... The things yeah. I said, that would chill is I'm sure, man, after the... You did a lot of media, fun. so I'm sure they fucking saw it. I did a lot of media, a lot of uh, poking fun at Sambo. Sambo, again, Sambo won this time, but was actually a Muay Thai head kick. So again, yeah. another borrowed technique, something that <laughs> Sambo artists cannot take responsibility for. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, there's a lot of Sambo enthusiasts. It's just so good. If you're from any niche community... It's so good to wind people up. Oh, right? dude, absolutely. If you're a catch wrestler, if, like if you're in the UK and you're a catch wrestler and 99.9% of the rest of the grapplers are doing jiu-jitsu, you are just so vulnerable to being <laughs> stitched up, you know? So it's like Sambo guys, very sensitive. Again, if you're part of a niche community within a broader thing, such as Sambo within the grappling world, it's like you are sensitive because you're not doing the more popular martial arts. So it's like it's so good to remind them of its ineffectiveness <laughs> and the reason that people do other grappling arts instead of, yeah, yeah. instead of Sambo. But yeah, Islam was sick. He was actually limping on his leg. I think he might've broken his leg or something when he kicked. Uh, he, had like, he put ice on it in the press conference. You can see he was icing it. He said, he said he has a hard head. Yeah. He, he yeah. He's look, his leg looks quite injured. So I was like, obviously I said to Vox, I was like, man, if he ate that, he had, the, if he ate that, you had this in the bag, you had a broken leg. You know what I mean? <laughs> If you would have eaten that, that's a tough one. To- it was a crazy card, though. The uh, A lot of times, because it was UFC caters events, you know what I mean? It's like a lot of people think matchmaking and stuff, like they don't think it's difficult. They don't think there's deeper meaning behind it. But like the way they match up opponents, mm-hmm. they do it brilliantly, right? Yeah. They do it to appeal to an audience. And you see them obviously have a heavy business approach. So when there's a, a region that they want to get into, they want to – draw upon that audience, grow that audience. They like, this is the way his fighting's been forever. Boxing's been forever. You want a star from that region. So you see how they cater some events towards the locals, right? So obviously in this area, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of Muslims and they generally back each other. Even if they're from different countries, there are cultural similarities. So they're oftentimes going to back that person. Just like we instinctually, like as an Australian, I see an Aussie competing, saying, so "Yeah, the instinct is to be like, oh, yeah, root, root support the guy, yeah, yeah, support your guy." So it's obviously capitalizes on those instincts. But yeah, this guy was definitely tailored towards these guys dominating, because mm-hmm. it's going to give a better fan experience for the crowd and make them stronger fans of the UFC. So oftentimes, if you see them entering an area, they want the local talent to win. Yeah, of course. Not, that's not to take anything away from these guys' victories. These guys were incredible out there. They dominated the non, uh, the, the non locally targeted fighters. But yeah, that's why often you'll see an event where it's like, it's in Australia and it'll be like five of the eight Australian guys won their fights. And you're like, fuck, that's good for business. That's a smart, smart way to hustle yeah. it. But yeah, the mood in there because of that was there wasn't much celebration because there was so much talk about. Israel and Palestine and what's going on yeah. over there right now. So a lot of, you saw the post-fight interviews. A lot of those were um, were quiet. They weren't celebratory. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Islam. You mean it was like he did like the Khabib? Yeah. Islam's doing this and telling everyone to be quiet. People interpreted that as to his haters. Yeah. But I think that's him basically being like, hey, we, this yeah. isn't the time. Now he did the same. Uh, so it was Khabib did that celebration when he submitted Justin. Yeah. I think his, his father had just died, right? And he was just like... Yeah, he's like, it's like sort of... It's not like, hey, silence the haters. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, everyone respects Islam, knows how good he is. I think that was more of a message towards Palestine. What's going on, yeah. But, yeah, obviously, great. That was a great car. Again, we I spoke about 80XC. We went to see this event, right? This event is the dream event for me because I do a lot of wool work with the MMA guys. I have a bad gas tank. These guys are doing three by three minute rounds yeah, or five by three. That is the absolute dream. This is 
we went to this event. This is our highest production event I've ever seen in grappling. And we just did Quintet, and Quintet was awesome. Yeah. But this one was far superior. Like, the amount of money they must have put into this event, insane. Well, I'm talking into the millions for sure. Really? How do you compare it to Aiga? Because I know you had said that was a really high production one as well. Aiga is a high production, but I think basically this event's ran by the Abu, Abu Dhabi sort of tourism commission. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, it's a way to attract people to, to Abu Dhabi. So it's like it's basically got an open budget. But in terms of production, what I'm talking about is every aspect of it was basically a UFC event. Mm-hmm. It was basically UFC-level production, oh, and that's sick. from showing – Guys, like, walking into the arena, like, the way they did the press conference, all these things. I mean, you take all the the behind-the-scenes stuff of a UFC event, which I've become familiar with just from cornering for Volks, and this was on the exact same scale and scope. So it's, like, it's a crazy production for an event. Had some good matches. I wasn't a massive fan of some of the Gi matches, but Gi's massive in Abu Dhabi. So they, they need to blend these two together. They can't let go of the gi if they want to draw in the locals because I believe they were telling me every five years they have a bit of a swing and they change directions. So they had Abu Dhabi World Pro, then they had the AJP Tour, mm-hmm. and now they've got ADXC. These are the same people? The, the, same, the same person that runs UAE oh, JJ. sick, Because over, three, over 300,000 people do jiu-jitsu in the UAE. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's part of the curriculum. Yeah, part of the school curriculum. I remember it started because they started flying. If you were a black belt, you were eligible to move out there and teach in schools and actually make pretty damn good, good money, money yeah. doing that stuff. So, the, yeah, they've got tons of local talent, um, but especially in the gi, because they had a gi focus, these events. Obviously, ADCC was um, started a lot longer before mm-hmm. World Pro and stuff, but given it travels around, whereas these previous events like the World Pro – final was always in Abu Dhabi and stuff so it's like there's a lot more gi practitioners over there but I think ADX will will bring a lot of no gi talent like I'm I really want to compete for it for the next one because it's just it looks awesome and I love defense wrestling wrestling in open space like if if there's no stalling penalties and guys keep backing up it's um yeah. they just have to recenter you recenter you recenter you yeah let's just put a wall there you can't I can run you into a wall yeah. that's much safer yeah. it's much um I'd rather see stalling on the wall than stalling where two people aren't even touching each yeah, other. Yeah. So I like the idea of that. I also think it brings in more MMA fighters because I'd be like, oh, you can't do your submissions and wrestling if I put your ass against the cage, you know? So I think it'll draw those guys in. So I think ADXC will be actually quite a big event going forward. I know they've got a two-year commitment to it, so there'll be two years okay. of these events. Do they stream this right now on anything or...? When your money's on the line, choose the trusted sportsbook that gives you the tools to win, like my bookie, Jartin Almeida versus Derek Lewis. There's a lot of names on this fucking card that I have no idea how to pronounce, but Almeida has 12 submissions as a heavyweight. If he doesn't get knocked out shooting a takedown, 100% submission rate in this match. I think he submits Derek Lewis very, very easy. Again, if he doesn't get knocked out coming in. But the more interesting match, I think Kai Bahala versus Abus Magomedov. Abus, unfortunately, is who Sean Strickland finished to get the title shot against Izzy. So we can all thank Abus Magomedov for having Sean Strickland as UFC champion. But Kai Bahala is a guy that keeps getting fed unknown killers in this division and keeps beating him. He's beaten some really good wrestlers. So I think he is a prodigy in this division. Interestingly enough, he actually lost a grappling match to Jartan Almeida, but Almeida is absolutely huge. So it's like, uh, goes without saying that he's still a very good grappler, middleweight versus a heavyweight in that crappy match. But I'm going to pick Kyle Bahalo. This time, I think he gets a submission win, rear naked choke. So I'm going with all the grapplers on this card. I believe Adolfo Vieira's in there as well. No idea who he's facing, but we'll support the grapplers and bet money on him as well. Go to mybookie.ag, use promo code BTEAM on your first deposit, and mybookie will give you up to $200 cash bonus. That's promo code B team to claim your own cash bonus or click the link in the description and place your bets. Let me know your picks in the comments and start winning. If you want a sports book that gives you the most for your money, bet on UFC with my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. I think they streamed it on their own platform. Oh, cool. But I'm not sure what the future holds for that. I imagine still on their own platform. A lot of people talk about putting, like, I like it when an event's just free on YouTube. Yeah. You know, like I remember. We used to be able to watch one championship on YouTube and they moved it to Amazon Prime and obviously all the fighters were making a big deal about, oh my God, it's on Amazon Prime. And I was like, 
but it was free. Yeah. You know, like Unless it's like people are gonna watch it now. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like if it's free on YouTube, if the if it's such a big organization that they don't require the money off the streaming rights, yeah. it's like free is better because have more eyes on it as a yeah, whole. That's, that's true. I wonder what the business decision goes in there because yeah, Amazon definitely cuts that viewership. YouTube makes it so easy to watch shit. You know. Yeah, I think it had. Uh, it just adds a bit of legitimacy mm. to the brand. You know what I mean? It's like. It's like, oh, I'm competing on an event that's free on YouTube or I'm competing on an event, where do I watch it? Amazon. It's behind the paywall and stuff. Yeah, yeah it almost sounds... It sounds like the, the the company who's throwing the event would make less money signing this exclusive deal than probably making what you would make on ad revenue on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way I see it too because one championship do crazy numbers yeah, on yeah. social media and YouTube and stuff. They're really, really good at that. I think less like, because they say it's like, actually a social media company not a fight company it's like that's where their growth is that's where they that's where they kill it yeah that's where the money is they've got a crazy social media team always posting stuff so they just sometimes like they have some of the best athletes in the world but it seems tough sometimes to find them other best athletes in the world to face off against them yeah you know what i mean like mikey hatch and yoki the oki log tyra tolo's got a guy now um, who actually trains with Islam. I competed against this guy in Kazakhstan years ago, but now Ty has him. And if, oh, what's his name? Oh, oh he's got um, Abdul Kadyrov. Abdul Kadyrov is his name, yeah. <clears throat> but, but he's competing against Ty. He actually, he went to ADCC 2015 in Brazil, the one I made my debut at, and he hit a seat, like a an arm drag in a wrestling position and took Benson Henderson's back and choked him. And then- sure. I remember he almost took Lovato's back. He hit like a truck roll through, almost took his back. Lovato eventually got out and won. But this guy's this guy's pretty tough. So it'd be an interesting match, but it'd be tough to beat Tyra Tolo. Yeah, Tyra Tolo. Fucking so fucking good. Do you think that the reason why they can't you're saying like there's they have some of the best people in the world, but then it's hard to kind of match these guys up with anybody else? Like do you think it's because of the contract? Like Yeah, I don't know. I think it's they just have one got they they target <clears throat> the best guy in the world in each division. Yeah. And then then that's that's just hard for them to get an opponent of a similar level and stuff, you know? Like yeah. like I'm trying to think Tyra Tolo was an eighty eight kilo guy. Like how sick would it be Tyra Tolo versus Giancarlo or something like that. Yeah. But instead yeah. he's facing this uh this um guy I've competed against before. Good guy, but this guy's prime is definitely behind him. Like I think he's more of a coaching role now, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of any like super crazy matchups they've had. It's usually like a star versus somebody who's not as known. Yep, yep. I mean, they did. Uh, Danielle Kelly and Jessica was kind of oh yeah, that was right. probably a good one. Yeah, that in my opinion, sort of a very uh, <clears throat> impactful match for in terms of the quality, the quality of opponent of names, for yeah. Danielle Kelly. But yeah, one one championship's cool. I don't know if I could commit to a contract out there because it's like as I, like I'm brain dead now. Like if that'd be me, that's a long flight. If I lived in Australia, it'd be a bit better. Yeah, to go to their events, but they do hand out those fucking fifty k bonuses like nothing, bro. Fifty k bonuses, yeah. But I don't want to compete for a bonus. I want it in my contract, you know. Yeah, you get it. Regardless. If you can afford to give me extra fifty, give it to me to show. You know, <laughs> like I don't want to. I don't want to rely on it. Oh, dude, they give you fucking you win a decision to give you that shit. Yeah. <laughs> they can't it out, bro. It'd be sick to be Shatri though and sit down the sidelines and be like, "Fuck, I don't like this guy." Even if he kills this guy, I'm not giving him a bonus. You know what I mean? <laughs> he he should just do gladiator style, like yeah. thumb up, thumb down. <laughs> How fucking know? epic would that be? That'd be fucking sick. That that would be hilarious. That's what they should do in jujitsu. If there's an overtime, it's like some guy just is like five more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that doesn't exist because that should be fucking great. Be good, yeah. Be good if I host my own event and do that, and it's just always five more minutes until <laughs> someone has a heart attack and dies. Someone has to fucking die. What grappling events we got coming up? We got Gordon oh, versus Barbosa. Uh, yeah, um, recent, and then I just announced he's fighting Mason. Yes, Mason as well. Eh? That'd be a good December. match. And uh, Marigali and Felipe Pena. Marigali and Philippe Pena. People give me shit because I was criticizing Gordon for taking these matches, but it, and, but it's like, I'm admitting, hey, like, Gerard Michaud's got 27 submissions. I should beat him. <laughs> I, and that's the business sense of me. It's like, oh, this is a guy I should beat. He's an MMA guy. I'll take the match. You know what I mean? I'm not, like, pretending to that I'm going to face the best guys in the world. If you want me to face the best guys in the world, 
you guys can pay me a lot of money because I have to make such a sacrifice in camp. But Lucas Barbosa fought for PFL at 170 pounds. That's crazy, bro. He's coming off a loss to uh, Pedro Hosho, which is Joao Hosho's, uh, I believe it's his younger brother. Yeah. Pedro's got a it's vicious a guillotine, caught him in a guillotine. I mean, Lucas Barbosa's tough, but in terms of matchups, Mason's a more interesting match. Mason's good in overtime. I wish they had an EBI overtime for that match just because I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who would be better in overtime. I have to assume Gordon just based on yeah, his uh, accomplishments, but yep. be a closer match. Mason's a gamer though. Like when he shows up, he's going to be in fantastic shape. He's going to have a strategy he'll stick to. He won't give in to fan pressure to put on an exciting match. Like Mason's a gamer. It's, he's there to win. You know what I mean? So, so that will be a tough challenge for Gordon if Gordon struggles to sweep him. Mason's probably a little better of a wrestler, maybe. Better shot, at least, in terms of can he keep him down and win the follow-up scramble? I'm not sure. Do you know what the rules for the, like how long these matches are? Like, I think it's a 20-minute match. Okay. Twenty, Yeah, 20-minute match. Uh, it's, it's a tricky one, eh? Because obviously a 20-minute match. When Cade Rotolo for Roberto Jimenez, that was a long match. That was an exciting match every minute of the match. Yeah. But for the most part, the longer the match goes, the bit more boring it is. People will say to me, hey, I think there's a time and a place for multiple rule sets because some people I like to watch in no time limit, some people I like to watch shorter duration. My only thought on that is MMA is MMA everywhere in the world. They have the unified yeah. rule set. So when you think of an MMA fight, you think of the unified rule set it has a meaning. It's it's the same. It's easy to follow. Yeah. UFC fans, to the best of ability, think they know how a round's going. You know what I mean? And most of the time, I'd say it's probably pretty in line with the judges' decisions. Whereas grappling, it's like multiple rule sets. Everyone keeps trying to find the perfect rule set. There is no perfect rule set. You just pick one and standardize it. it yeah. So then at least that small percentage of people that watch jiu-jitsu and don't do it, at least... There's a consistency amongst events. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. It's like a fight pass event sometimes. Every single match on the card's got a different rule set. Yeah, yeah. It's very confusing. Uh, that happened when you fought Philippe. It was Glover and Anthony Smith was, like, completely different rule set. Your fight was, a, or like, time period. It was super confusing. I think uh, what would be great for grappling is actually to have rounds. Like, ADXC's doing rounds. Some of those fight pass events that would do three. Because the idea is it's like... You can just take it round by round. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's and you you won't get if nothing's happening in a boring position. Like say, you, yeah. All right, let's look at Nikki Ryan, Renee Souza. Right? Nikki took his back pretty early, yeah, and held it for the whole match. If that was three five minute rounds instead of a fifteen minute round, at least after five minutes, Nikki hasn't got the sub. Have a quick breather. They go again. Yeah. Now we see something else happening. So it's like. Yeah, I do agree it's bad to take someone out of a good position. Good position, yeah. But I also don't want to see someone in a good position for 15 minutes. Because that's the argument, right? Like, it's hard to do a certain amount of work in little amount of time. So, like, how long are the rounds? You said they're three... Three three-minute rounds for eight Three minutes is pretty hard to submit somebody who's at a high level. For sure. But you... the what What should happen, this is what should happen, right, is let's say me and you go out and you decisively win the first two rounds. We might not even have one scramble in three minutes, but you win that scramble. I now know that I have to go for yeah. the kill. Me going for the kill and you being complacent, you'd win the decision even if you lost a round, means that for me, I have to take risks. I either have to take a big risk or I lose. You are going to see whatever I'm going to do coming because you're comfortably waiting. So yeah. it creates this, it should create a last round pressure situation where I'm more likely to submit you and you're more likely to submit me because we have an understanding that one of us is going to lose. Yeah, like it has to happen this round. That's what should happen. Obviously, in the heat of the moment, sometimes people are quite happy to just not get submitted. Yeah. Like they lose that drive. They'll be like, oh, well, at least he didn't submit me. Like it's some sort of uh, not a real victory yeah. or something. Because the, oh, look, fucking smart water, bro. It's been filled <laughs> out of the tap. Though. Um, I'd imagine with this rule set, you see less matches finished by submission, but you probably will see better a lot wrestling of, scrambles. Yeah. 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 The future of the sport are scrambles. Submissions are icing on top, you know? Some of the best matches are just one scramble after another, after another. 
They're not submission shootouts. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like we're just stuck. I definitely like people want to see a submission, but that's like, I feel like people who train, I wonder like if people who don't train, who want to watch this as a hobbyist, do they, do they f- share that? Do they want to see submissions or do they want to see six scrambles the entire time? I want to see people have crazy scrambles, lay traps and counter each other. Mm-hmm. And in that scramble, yeah. a submission occurs. That's fucking exciting. When we get to these matches where it's so long that one guy just becomes so exhausted, anything would submit him. It's still impressive because your jujitsu was better. You were more efficient. You forced this guy to gas out. But when you cat, when they have, there's a crazy scramble that leads to a submission and both two guys are going for the kill. That, to me, is the most exciting, most technical part of the sport. And then for something like this, how would you combat the, you know, you have some people, who, two grapplers who don't really know how to wrestle, stand up and just kind of push each other for... Stalling penalties. Yeah. Heavy stalling penalties. Hey, you're backing up. You're on the shot clock. Shot clock like wrestling. Is that some of the, something that ADXD, XC does? They don't have a shot clock yet, but I was pushing for them to get a shot clock. Yeah, that, that makes it interesting because that also ruins a lot of matches for me, I feel like. Yeah, we want. I mean, you just want to see. Just want to see action. You want to see two guys that go for it. We like. Folks was talking about in the Islam fight how he didn't let his hands go, how he didn't go for it. Um, he was at a closer range this fight, and he didn't pull the trigger. And it's like sometimes mental things get the better of us, you know. Like some days we're just not on. Like maybe he was thinking, I can't go for it because I didn't have a full camp. I can't go for it. I wanted the gas tank to last five, last five rounds. Yeah. Or maybe because he had a tiny camp and he wasn't sparring, he didn't have the looks, he didn't have the confidence to go for it, you know? Sometimes we just don't pull the trigger for whatever reason. So, yeah, I mean, even in the perfect rule set, sometimes there's going to be some boring shit go down. But, again, if there's a shot clock and now you get you recognize that, hey, I'm going to lose the round unless I make something happen, what should happen is you are forced to attack. That might lead to your victory or your defeat, but yeah. we – we want people to take risks. How do we encourage risk taking? That's the question. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes. I mean, even after some matches where some people lose, they don't lose stock if they've had an ex- if they lost an exciting match, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, who is not going to tune into a J Rod? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that Mika match. He might have lost, but he gained a lot of fans just based on the fact on his how he competed, and then also like how he handles the loss afterwards as well. He does a pretty good job with that. Yeah, it's basically the idea of just going out on your sword. Yeah. You know, that's what fans that's what fans love. They want to know that you gave it everything. They obviously they want you to win, sure. But I mean some of the most beloved figures in boxing didn't retire undefeated. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's like if you if the fans will still love you as long as you go for it. Yeah, obviously as long as you're exciting. In a perfect world you would not lose. Yeah. They're still they're not gonna like they're not going to dislike you for winning too much, but yeah, I think guys like J Rod and stuff, that's the most exciting. Joseph Chen his ADCC trials performance, he obviously won every match, but he went for it. He yeah. was the whole time he's attacking every minute of every match, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean he was in that in a bad position at the end there with Taza pretty pretty quickly into the round, right? Yep. And uh, ended up winning. So, yeah, he also another guy who's exciting the entire time. Poor Taz actually losing at trials, right? Again, second yeah. place at trials. Yeah. He's got a bunch of chances to win it, though. So He's got too much chance. I'm not sure how I feel about, like, if you just happen to have, like, two passports, yeah, yeah. you get to do twice as many trials as people. Are you only allowed to have dual citizenship? Like, can you have multiple, like, uh, let's say, you know, Russian, uh, Russian grandparents, American, and then... Also, Japanese or some shit. You can only have sure. two? I'm not sure if there's a limit on the amount. I think it depends on the country, the country. of residency and stuff, yeah. Because, yeah, I was wondering if there's, like, a any guy who can do all the trials or a majority of the trials. That would be funny. It adds a layer of pressure, too, because imagine you could do all the trials and you still don't win. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. fuck. <laughs> but, yeah, we haven't even spoken about trials, hey, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, right. Dorian trains here or whatever it is god knows i'm not even here however <laughs> many times he comes like maybe once every two weeks and stays an entire week maybe yeah he uh, come he comes to scrap uh he had a great performance yeah, took great. out took out ethan i saw him and ethan rolling before the event uh ethan did have the ability to win but I, it was a bad style style matchup 
for Ethan. So to, to, yeah, Dorian took him out in the uh, competition, but then Dorian took out um, Gianni Grippo too. Yeah. Had a lot of big wins. And he took out the guy that's just moved to New Wave. What is his name in the final? Oh, uh, Dominic Mejia. Yes, Dominic Mejia. Dominic Mejia is real slick. He had a good run. He avenged his loss to... uh, The Corbet brothers? Yeah, well, at least I saw him lose to DeAndre Corbet. Oh, yeah, that's at Enigma. That just happens. I mean, there's something to be said. eh? It's like you you can... If you beat a guy at an event like Enigma and he beats you at trials, it's like he's up because (laughs) that was a more important... For sure. That was a more important victory. I mean, fuck, I need to beat his brother, so it's like, dude, that's double. Yeah, taking out brothers, yeah. hey, that's, that's, that's tough. Is, that's brutal. But yeah, he, he kind of got manhandled. Dorian, it's funny, Dorian's not a man, but he's manhandling people. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, the Gianni match, he, he seemed to have Gianni just running the entire time. And obviously, Gianni's fucking legend. He's fucking won almost everything. That's true. Yeah, Gianni's been around a long, long time. Gianni, yeah, I remember him coming up, being like yeah. that purple belt guy. Like, he's... He's been in the game an awfully long time. Mm. He seems to have these moments where it might be we don't hear from him for a, a year or two, and then he has this moment where he, he like bounces back and he beats all these good people and stuff. But like uh, we don't, he's always competing. But he's had some big moments in his career. But I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like he. I mean, he could have beaten Dorian. It's just Dorian's. A, that's a tough. That's a problem. He's perfect for that rule set, man. Like yeah, Dorian's gonna. I believe he's gonna medal ADCC. It's just yeah, like it's a nightmare, nightmare oh. matchup for people. I mean, yes, yeah, so he's super tough, and even like he has a him and his dad. You can hear his dad like uh, running stuff through him during the match, and it's like super strategic. Like they're fucking really plan this entire thing out. Like he does a really good job, especially when people uh, like you know you could take a shot and sprawl for like three seconds and pull. He has like a really good job at like letting people go before that, and then they'll end up getting the negative anyways. Um, yeah, he's perfect for this rule set, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not shocked he did so well. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna be a, a problem for fuck facing these 17 year old kids. Eh? And then 77, we had Nicky Ryan. Nicky Ryan lost to a Lloyd Irvin guy. What's yeah. that guy's name? Uh, man, his last name is Dorsey. I don't Jack, know. no, not Jack Dorsey. You're on Twitter. Elijah, Elijah Dorsey. <laughs> Elijah Dorsey. Yeah. Honestly, a guy I'd never heard of, but Lloyd Irvin has has some tough, tough athletes. Gamers. I remember the Lloyd Irvin one year at Worlds. The guy was uh, the guy was losing by a sweep or maybe a point or something, and the whole team did a fake countdown. So there was twenty seconds left, but they started counting down from ten. Oh, that's funny. And then the opponent thought the match was over and got swept, and the other guy won. So it's like that's that's the indication. It's a level of uh, manipulation, gamesmanship <laughs> these guys have. Holy fuck. Yeah, I mean, dude, this kid Elijah looked like um, it was like his day to win it, man. He had obviously beat Taza before that. Um, he took out uh, the Navy guy was here, Bobby. He had he, he took out some names on the way to winning St- the whole thing. Stayed fresh the entire time, too. Yeah, yeah. Just an important point yeah. about conditioning. Sports moving towards a level of conditioning. You got to be a full athlete. Yeah, MMA fighters have, so it's like you, you got to be training. You got to be training like your MMA uh, heroes to be able to really yeah. cut it, especially in a ADCC trials event. Because if you come across a Dorsey or a Dorian, you can't f- you can't guarantee you submit them. Yep. If you don't submit them, you better have as good a gas tank as them. Eighty eight, Jay loses to Hillbilly. Yep, goes back out for his bronze medal match and will tack it. Rightfully so, jumps on that bad ankle. You can't trust these homeschool kids. Eh? <laughs> Blood in the water. A limp to them. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I saw it right away. Like, as soon as it happened, he kind of looked at it, and I was like, oh, he's going to go for it. And right on. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, you got you got to do what you got to do. He'll be this likable figure. It's good he was able to able to take it out. He's always so emotional after oh, matches man, and yeah, stuff. He eh? did, like, like, a full-on lap and fucking shook everybody's hand. The arena, like, the whole place was going pretty crazy for this guy. Yeah, he's just, a, he's a, he's like a underdog figure you know like i definitely didn't expect him to win um but but he did he looked he looked great like will tacker versus uh hillbilly have they had they did they have a match at that tournament no uh elder cruz took out but um, you remember back at the flow grappling tournament there was uh tacker was in there he submitted dante leon with a calf slicer hillbilly submitted roberto jimenez did they i think they might i might they might have you have to check that eh? that'd be a cool match to see but yeah hillbilly submitted everyone um, great, yeah, great performance. Be interesting to see how he goes at ADA. Obviously, Isaac, Isaac, uh, controlled him pretty well at WNO. 
So like he, he controlled him pretty well. Didn't submit. I mean, same with Joseph Chan. Like positionally controlled him very well, but couldn't get the submission. But you'd have to imagine ADCC rule set would, would probably favor Isaac for the rematch. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I can't find anything on... Um, Tackett versus Hillbilly? Yeah. Over, uh, oh, no. Jacob Couch defeats William Tackett via first-round decision. At um, This is a Flow Grappling WNO I, Championship I thought, 2021. I, I remember that. Yeah, I think that might have been for the bronze medal. Uh, it doesn't say. It just says via, via round decision. Yes, I'm sure Tackett's dying. For the rematch. 99 was uh, Ardilla, the lawyer again, right? Ardilla versus this guy from 10th Planet. Um, Ardilla just fucking loves a trials victory. Yeah. Yeah, he's had to face Trator two times yeah. at ADCC, the poor bastard. I think he, he's, he's, this is, he'll be going to ADC three times, or he's gone to ADC three times and lost in the first round every time so far, so. That's rough, eh? Yeah. I mean, you're still, you're still there, though, eh? You're still top 16 in yeah. the world. Pretty impressive, though, still to be... A yeah, full-time, full-time lawyer job. owns his own firm, and then you know do this type of shit for fun. So. That, yeah, that is you got to appreciate people that have multiple areas of expertise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because he's outperforming people that only do jujitsu, yep, yep. and he's a goddamn lawyer at the same time. <laughs> hey, that's not that's not him working a regular job. That's a pretty fulfilling full-time yeah, gig. Full-time gig, and apparently he's fucking pretty serious. So, like a pretty good fucking lawyer. Yeah, I feel like uh, that probably the energy required to be a good lawyer probably channels quite well into athletics as well, like that desire to win, you know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's also a super nice guy. We were just there with Nicky Rod and Jay, and they trained, and yeah, they scrapped. He has a couple of good guys coming up as well, so. what? A, and 99 was big, uh, big Dan, eh? Big Dan and um, the guy he faced, uh, David, Davi Ramos. No, not Davi, but something Ramos. The kid, oh, he's Nicky beat, Rod faced him, right? Yeah, Nicky Rod beat him. Big Mexican kid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's from Reno. Uh, we've done a couple seminars there. He's he's trains out of that gym. No yeah. shit. Yeah, I mean, Big Dance. He's that's a tough guy. Like that's a tough dude to take on. Like yeah. six. What is he? Six eight? Six six? I just know he's close to three hundred pounds. Yeah, three hundred oh, pounds. No one's close to that. Plays jujitsu like a small guy. That's a fucking yeah. nightmare, right? Yeah, he had a. Uh, he looked good in the weekend, obviously. Um, I wanted to see him in versus Hansen, but Ramos knocked out Hansen in the semis. Oh wow! Yeah, I haven't watched that match yet. That'd be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, yeah. Hansen's the one that took ended up taking out Big Vince. Um, obviously, the match that I wanted to see was Big Vince and Big Dan, but we didn't get. How it. did he take him out? Uh, Hansen beat uh, Vince by points. Nice. <laughs> took his back and um, he, like. Vince was like, wasn't able to recover the points before the time ended. What was the event like? Because it's like it's in Atlantic City. Atlantic City's kind of a dodgy <sighs> Fuck, spot. Man. Like it's it's definitely a dodgy spot. Um, I was at the hotel or the venue like ninety percent of the time. Um, but yeah, man, it's like nothing's around. Atlantic City's like a interesting place. Nothing around at night. We we're like looking for like places to eat that were close to the venue. Nothing really. Um, but. The event was nice, man. They ran it pretty well, ran pretty smooth. I felt like everything was kind of like on time. Um, but there weren't any like crazy viral moments this year. Like, you know, we had the Would Damien you, versus fucking Tackett. Tackett I mean, there moment. was that Cody Steele moment, but. Uh, he like slammed the guy. How do you feel about that? A lot of people talking about this lately, like letting letting the matches go off on like on the side of the match. I mean, it goes viral, but yeah. like. But is it is I it safe? Like, so, I mean, it's definitely not safe. Yeah. But could we not just have bigger match, bigger mats? Yeah. Like, was there not enough space there? Uh, man, with the amount of people, there definitely would have not been a lot of space. But it's something that they could have planned for, for sure, you know? Like, if that was something that was in the plans, they could have done better. But it's kind of hard to do. They're like in the in a conference room in a hotel, you know? It's like... Yeah, it's, okay. it's definitely interesting. Yeah, I mean... It is cool. Yeah. The videos are crazy, but it's like, I would hate for someone to get hurt in that moment. But, it, but you, you, this is what you signed up for. You know the rules. You. you know, like, what's the at stake like, here? It's like, like Cody Steele was like feet away from suplexing this guy onto the fucking concrete. It's like literally rug like this. Yeah. It makes you wonder if all people would do that. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of sometimes like, say when I compete against Philippe, a couple of times I could have taken him off the ledge, yeah. but I was like, oh, no, pull my, the fuck's the point? Yeah. pull my punch. You know, I'm not sure if I'd be the guy. Unless I didn't like my opponent to slam him onto the, to the concrete. concrete. Yeah. That was like the only thing I, I've heard 
people talk about during the weekend that they didn't really like that, but it's sold out, right? All divisions sold out. I don't know about all of them, but definitely 77, 66. Um, those two for sure, but I'm not sure. I can't imagine there was 256 plus 99 guys there. That's yeah, that's true. Hey, that's they're all 66, 77. I mean, Vince only had one match, so there was something weird like Big Dan on the day wasn't on the bracket. So Vince wasn't going to have a match because he was already set on to, he was already part of the 32. And then later they're like, oh no, Dan's in there now. And then Vince ended up having a match. Dan had a, a bye, obviously, being the number one seed. Um, but yeah, I think they only had like 40 guys, maybe, like not too many guys. Yeah. Yeah. We train, we changed a bit of the training leading up to this. Like uh, we oftentimes would do 10, well, no, like six, 10 minute rounds at lunch. Probably not enough position rounds, but leading up to it with like me and Nikki and stuff, we'll be training 8 a.m. We try to make that 8 a.m. sesh more of a pro sesh at B team now, just with a, a bit a bit more structure, shorter, like trials matches are six minutes. So we're doing a lot of three-man drills, three-man groups of you're in for six, out for three, you know, like just raising the intensity. Sometimes when you're one of the better guys in the gym, you can, uh, you can roll a bit light because you're able to beat these guys without going hard but i think you need some you need some scraps in the gym leading up to events and i think short duration scraps are a bit safer because it keeps you um yeah it's just not as dragged out some of the worst injuries i think are when you're like six rounds deep 10 minute rounds like your body's dead short sprints are a bit a bit better on the body and help boost the gas tank i think nikki showed another level of aggression we didn't do this before the renee Souza match yeah we did this before this event just to raise his intensity i mean he fucking had like maybe six minutes of mad time before the final like exactly yeah and that's i think short duration high intensity training yep. is going to make you more able to do that you know if you floor roll for 60 minutes a day i don't think you're submitting you're not, multiple you're be on. Yeah. six minutes yeah it's just a pity he lost the final but um but yeah, I think he's he's coming back. Finally, get some confidence back after his injury. Yeah, I think he's got a, a couple matches he wants to kind of set up already. He's trying to stay busy, and he's yeah, he's a bit more mo- motivated lately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fucking, you come, you you fly out for like a week, come back and beat him up. It's like that's good motivation for the guy for sure. Yeah, I came back in today and I'm dead. I woke up at five a.m. I feel pretty. I feel good though. Like I slept at nine. I slept nine p.m. Until 5 a.m., which is decent post-jet lag. pretty good, yeah. Sometimes, like, when we got back from the last trip, I was waking up at, like, 2.30 in the morning. So I woke up at 5. I felt fucking great. But then by the time I got to rolling this morning, we did this about 8.40, I was like, fuck this. I deserve to suffer or something. We'll do a (laughs) shark tank. I was like, I'll grab JB, Nikki. We'll do 15 minutes. I'll stay in the whole time. But then I was like... I'll do JB the first round, use him to warm up a bit. Get the, I try to always use the first round to warm up, then Nikki. So it would have been three minutes. It would have been five rounds, right? It would have been JB, Nikki, JB, Nikki, JB. And I was like, well, that's unfair because Nikki doesn't get three rounds to attack me. So I was like, fuck it, we're doing 18 minutes. So fresh off the plane yesterday, come in today, get shark tanked by a JB and Nikki for 18 minutes straight. It was pretty rough. I would admit pretty rough, but a good blowout on the lungs. That's a little insight into my preparation for... Me a shot. I need to be able to do fifteen minutes of a scrap. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to be concerned about lasting fifteen minutes. You know. Yeah. This morning you definitely fucking pushed the pace. I. I don't think I fucking seen you do that in a while. Yeah. I. I'm moving towards, like, when B team open, we do. I would be the. I'd try to lead by example. I'd be. Like, I'm going to do two sessions a day every day. So I do six sixes in the morning at eight a.m. and I'd try to do maybe four tens at lunch oh that was my schedule every day and i'd lift as well and uh body did not handle that too well so in terms of getting sick not injured i'm mostly a guy that gets sick but now at this point i've got so i'm so busy doing other things it's like it's not even feasible for me to be doing two long sessions a day so i also feel better if i do shorter duration higher intensity training Whereas for most of my career, I've erred on the other side. Yeah. But I actually feel much better doing short burst training. Almost like kind of inspired by what I see with Volkanovski and stuff. It's like that that style of training. Even the city kickboxing guys, like that style of training. Like if it works for five, five-minute rounds, 
there's no reason that style of training is not going to work for one 15 minute match. Yeah. Does, does Volk do stuff like that? Um, like year round or is that just like a camp thing? Just a camp. They'll do these things called meat grinders, which is basically a shark tank. Mm -hmm. And they'll do another crazy conditioning style workout. Another two versions of it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I try to do that. I, do, I think it's very important mentally. Like obviously not to give away results, but today I'm jet lagged. Nikki and JB obviously have a size advantage over both. I have thir probably 25, 30 pounds on Nikki Ryan, 10 pounds on JB. But to do 18 minutes straight, I was able to get, get a few submissions in there and also not get submitted myself, not get put in a bad position. It does feel good because those are two really high quality, high quality guys to train with. So it's like that does instill confidence. And I think it makes you dig pretty damn deep. It makes you stay disciplined too. Like if I get tired and get out of position in wrestling, even though, I have a big size advantage on those guys. Those guys will have the ability to take me down. Yeah. So it means that no matter how tired I am, when that fresh guy comes in, I better be in a good stance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To, to just mitigate that fatigue yeah. factor. Do you know how much, what the weight difference between you and Gerald are going to be? Or? Well, he asked for 210. But again, that's probably most middleweights. He's a middleweight, so he's probably, that's probably what he walks around at. 210 is probably him not in great shape. Hmm. If he was in great shape at 210... And lean be hard, very difficult to make 185, I think. So 210, he's probably, he's training for this for sure. Yeah. Is he doing an MMA camp? I have to imagine no. not. Yeah, probably not. Because is he getting paid what he gets paid for an MMA fight? No. No shot. No shot. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. I didn't know, I thought he, I thought he was a 205er actually. I didn't know he was a 185er. Um, no, yeah, he's uh, actually got, he's got 27 submissions. Again, I told people the only reason we're doing this is because he made a joke after I lost to Sean Brady about heel hooks, and I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll try heel hook him. Yeah. Set history, right? Still very, very surprised that UFC allowed this to happen with heel hooks. Yeah, usually usually they don't do that shit, eh? But I say no. I, they've, so, they've softened it a bit because I know even at ADXC, uh, Martin Vittori's match had heel hooks in, so uh, I was like... He won, right? Like a decision or some shit? Vittori won, yep, yep. But they're both him and Tariq have some good scrambles in there. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this match with Polaris goes. A couple of good fights on there as well. Um, there's uh, obviously the Kendall fight, but there's a uh, there's a couple uh, Langackers fighting as well. Yep, He's fighting yep. Taza. That's right. It's an interesting one. I think the winner gets Sashinsky. Oh fuck, that's not. Yeah, that's not <laughs> that a great sucks. prize. <laughs> fuck, that's tough. Yeah, that should be a good card. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's all that's coming up. It's Tuesday today. When we're filming this, I leave next Tuesday. We'll try and get another pod out before I leave. We'll try and film another one before I leave. But if not, when I'm in London, hopefully knock one out right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. Mystery guest or solo one? Well, look, all right. So I posted Purple. I don't even know how to say his name. Purple Aki or Purple Aki or whatever. There's this guy that would, uh, this big black guy that would roam the streets of England and ask to fill guys' muscles. I found out about him because of a Vice documentary. Kind of intimidating guy, but if we could find him, we could track him down. Some people said he was dead. I don't know if he's dead. That's what we want to find out, but that would be a fantastic. <laughs> I'd love to film a video with him touching my muscles. It'd be a kind of a confidence boost if he thinks I have muscles. That would be pretty funny, yeah. yeah. All right, see episode 21. Done. Peace. Thank you for listening to the El Segundo Podcast. Don't forget, Fuck Cry Jones.